All right, everyone, go ahead and take your seats as we prepare for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading this evening comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is the word of the Lord. So when you are in trouble, when you're in really, really big trouble, uh, who who would you call? Who are you going to call? I'm thinking Ghostbusters. Just thought of that now. Uh, So I just heard this story today, uh, and it was actually a very, very timely story. So comes from one of our own, and I got her permission to share the story. Uh, It's from Jen, and she's not here. So how the story goes, it was a a nice summer day here in Westerville uh, a few years back. Uh, Jen was in her late teenage years. She was a young college student. And um, uh, when I was talking with Jen, she said, you know, for me to be a teenager and a college student, cell phones weren't a thing yet. So a few years ago. All right, so Jen was in the car with her best friend, and they were driving down uh, State Road 3, and they were talking. Now, the way Jen would describe it, uh, they were talking very animatedly. They had both the windows down, and uh, as they're talking animatedly, they're really getting into the conversation, and they're moving their hands and uh, body language. They're really exuberant, and they're really excited till the dreaded red and blue lights come on. So next thing you know, uh, she's getting pulled over, and her friend's getting pulled over, and they're going, oh my goodness, what are we getting pulled over for? What could possibly be uh, going on here? Um, we, we know that we weren't speedy. We know that we weren't doing anything wrong. What could this possibly be? So uh, the police officer gets out, and uh, Jen is very respectful of police officers. So in her very respectful uh, retelling of the story, she said, yeah, The second he got out of the car, we knew he was in a bad mood. The second that he started talking to us, we could tell he was having a bad day because uh, he was really short, he was a little bit rude to us, and he was a young guy, and it seemed like maybe he had a point to prove, but who knows. 
So Jen and her friend, they're both actually really terrified. What is going on here with the police? Next thing you know, the police uh, ask the driver to get out of the car and go sit in the patrol car, uh, where, uh, which was parked behind them. So the police officer goes ahead and uh, takes Jen's friend. And then the police officer comes walking up and gets uh, to the passenger window where Jen is sitting. And, she sa- and says to her, do you know why I pulled you and your friend over? Jen goes, officer, I have no idea why. You know, we weren't speeding. We weren't doing anything wrong. And the officer said, hey, listen, I saw the way that you guys were talking, and I know you flipped me the middle finger when we were talking. (laughs) Jen was absolutely appalled by this. The police officer goes on to say, you're going to be in big trouble for what you did. And Jen's going, officer, I need you to know something. There is no way that I would have done that. In fact, that's not the way that I was raised, officer so-and-so. She looks closer and she sees his badge. She goes, oh, here's your badge number. Hey, I tell you what, officer so-and-so, why don't we do this? Can we go ahead and uh, why don't we give Jack Walsh a call? Oh, and by the way, if you don't know who Jack Walsh is, well, I know him by dad. You might have heard of him as Colonel Jack Walsh, uh, the head of the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Why don't we go ahead and give my dad a call and, and ask him, did, uh, did you raise your daughter like this, and is this something that your daughter would do? You see, the way Jen told the story, she said the minute that she dropped the name Jack Walsh, she said the color drained out of this young police officer's face, and he said, oh my, I'm so sorry, I must have you mistaken, uh, it must have been somebody else, and he immediately went and got her friend back, and all was okay. For Jen, uh, for Jen and her friend that day. See, one of the things that Jen was saying is she was in trouble, and at least at this point in her life, uh, at least at this point with what was going on and what she was experiencing when she was in trouble, she knew that her dad's name carried a lot of weight. She knew that her dad's name would help her in her time of need. The story in Scripture that we're looking at here today the story of Scripture here in Exodus chapter 6. Both, uh, both the, the people of God that Exodus 6 was written to and the people of God here in the story of chapter 6, they're in a time of great trouble. They're in a time uh, where they're being oppressed. They're in a time where they're called to go out on this great mission, and they don't know the outcome of it. They don't know, you know, what turn of events are going to occur, and they're in great need. And I would say even though our circumstances are different, I know that all of us in different times and in different ways, whether it's struggles at work, struggles in our family, perhaps even uh, our marriage or our friendships, or geez, my knees, even in our church, when we have these struggles, I think the question that is the people of God we necessarily can ask is who are we going to call? Well, the answer, of course, is we should call on God. And here in Exodus chapter 6, God in a very unique and in a very personal way is going to reveal His name to His people. And I believe that is the main lesson God wants us to know this evening from Exodus chapter 6. God wants us to know His name. He wants us to know His name. And we're going to discuss the name of God by kind of uh, going through the sermon uh, through asking these three questions. We're going to ask, what is God's name? 
We're going to ask, what is the meaning of God's name? And then finally, how should we respond to God's name? What is his name? What is the meaning of his name? And how should we respond to his name today? So we're going to start off here, and we're going to go ahead and ask the question, what is God's name? Now, I'm going to leave you on the hook a number of times this evening. This is not one of them. What is God's name? It's Yahweh. Now, I said that, and you know, I'm not seeing jaws drop, and people don't look too confused yet, uh, but reality is, even, uh, even a hundred years ago, if I would have told you that God's name is Yahweh, there may have been some confusion, and there may have been some, uh, you know, question that, that his name is Yahweh, that's not what I always thought. So, in reality, uh, when, we, when we hear that God's name is Yahweh, and we see it right here uh, in the text, I think we should necessarily ask ourselves two more questions. Uh, why don't we often hear God's name? And then some of you, and I'm, it's going to be easier for me to kind of get at both of these at the same time, some of you may have taught that God's name is something else. Why don't we, why don't we often hear God's name? And then, uh, well, I thought God's name was something else, and we're going to get to that here in a second. All right, so really quick, if you do have your Bibles open. I said that God's name is Yahweh. We see it right here in verses 2 and 3. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am the Lord. Now, in English, that certainly does not sound like Yahweh. But if you look at your text and you look there right in verses 2, you'll notice when it says the Lord, Lord is in all capital letters. Now, there's a generic sense where the word Lord is used elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, uh, when Moses petitions God, or the people of God, they're in a really bad place. Uh, Moses actually, here in chapter 6, he's coming off of a big failure. Uh, God had a very explicit and, and purposeful way that he was supposed to confront Pharaoh. Moses kind of took the language and the confrontation into his own hands and didn't do it the way that God did. And, and now things are really, really hard for the people of God. Pharaoh has uh, upped the persecution. Pharaoh has been more harsh and more cruel, and Pharaoh has even mocked God. And so here, this response, everything that begins in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it's God's response to Moses saying, God, what are you doing? Do you even care about us? You, you know, are you involved in our lives? What is going on here? And when Moses actually asks that question to God, you'll notice in the end of chapter 5, it will be a lowercase Lord, or, or I should say it's not all caps where it, where it says Lord. Yet nonetheless, right there in verse 2, I am the Lord, all capital letters. All right, so uh, this is probably going to be the most heady part of the sermon, but I promise you it's important, so bear with me. God's name's Yahweh. Ken, if you could go ahead and put that first slide up. So, it's as simple as that. Hebrew reads from right to left. Um, so, if I'm reading you those characters, it's Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. Okay, so that is the divine name. That's God's personal name. Now, uh, you may have not heard it very often because in our own English Bibles, we don't write out Yahweh, and there's a reason for that. You see, back uh, in the Old Testament times, really about the 4th century B.C., we know that the people of God are in captivity. Up in the northern area, you have the people of God captured by the Assyrians, and then over more in the southern area, uh, the people of God are in captivity to the Babylonians. Now, we can read in books like Ezekiel and Daniel, we see that even though they're in captivity, 
God wants them to still minister to these people who have uh, abused them and offended them. And God even says, hey, do well in the cities that you're in captivity in and, and talk about me and share how great and good that I am. So, as the people of God are actually trying to learn to minister to the Babylonians and uh, maybe less, but still, you know, a, a little bit the Assyrians, uh, just like we do here today in Westerville, they try to learn how to uh, convey the good news about who God is in a way that the people can understand. Well, here's the thing. Religious practice in both ancient Assyria and ancient Babylon, they had this belief. And this belief was fundamental to the way that they practiced their own religion. And the belief was this. If I know the name of a deity, I have power over them. If I have a name of a deity, I can uh, use this name in a particular incantation in a particular way, uh, and I can invoke this deity to uh, work on my behalf, to do things for me. So you can see the people of God, they have this incredible message about this God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding instead, fast love, but they're already three steps back by identifying his name. So in order to be able to minister to the people, in order to be able to really, frankly, honor, uh, is it the fourth commandment? Uh, you shall not take the, the name of the Lord God in vain. That's the third commandment. Um, uh, in order to do those things, so both minister well and respect God. Hey, these people here believe that if they know the name of God, they have power over him. Yeah, right. They started making a substitution. So, for the most part, the Old Testament, the Bible that we have, it's been delivered to us in speech. Uh, the people that, you know, took the time to memorize the Old Testament, they would recite it generation to generation, and they would hand it down. Nonetheless, there were still scribes, and there were still people who would spend the time of writing the Scripture out. So again, we kind of have this uh, practice that came into, came into place. We don't actually say Yahweh. Rather than saying Yahweh, they would, they would use a different word. They would say the general Adonai, which just means lowercase Lord. That's what Moses uses there uh, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 5. Ken, if you could go ahead and pull up the next slide in it. So here we are. This is the Hebrew word Adonai. Um, yeah, I'm just going to say it like this. See the squiggly lines on below the letters and, you know, the top? Uh, those are vowels. Now, I say it in quotation because here's the truth of the matter. In Hebrew, there's actually not vowels. Uh, my sister-in-law went over to Israel uh, just a couple years ago and brought us back some gifts. And I said, oh, I know Hebrew. Uh, I'm going to read the back of these passages uh, out loud. And I looked at it, and I didn't know what to do. There literally were not vowels. Uh, and I said, I have no idea how a modern Hebrew person could read that. Imagine uh, trying to, you know, read anything and there's no vowels. So because in Hebrew there are no vowels and then as, as Western uh, civilization grew, we know that Greek was the dominant language and then Latin, uh, we kind of had to come up with a system. When, we, when we're translating the Bible, when we're translating the Old Testament, how are we going to essentially know that we're using the right uh, verbs, the right cases, the right, you know, we can go everything that there is in grammar. And so these guys in the 6th to 10th century AD, they worked on a system, they were called the Masoretes, and... Um, the Hebrew Bible that we translate from today and most of our English translations, this is it. It's called here the Masoretic Text. 
So even though we're talking about nearly a thousand years later, remember 4th century BC, hey, we don't use the name of the Lord. Uh, we got to make sure, you know, that we just say Adonai. Um, but on the same note, Scripture is the very Word of God, is it not? And we got to make sure that we preserve it. So one of the things that they would do, uh, let's go ahead and go to the next slide, Ken. So they made a substitution. So every time in the Hebrew Bible, when the divine name would come up, such as here in Exodus chapter 6, I am Yahweh, uh, again, for the most part, this would have been verbally recited. So what they did, though, is they pulled, so I'm looking at kind of the uh, upper left-hand corner. You see, again, the squiggly lines I said below? The vowels, they pulled the vowels under from Adonai, put them in on the divine name, and then it comes out with the pronunciation, at least in the Latin at the time, Jehovah. How many of you guys have ever been taught that God's name is Jehovah? Okay, no, no hands going up anyways. Uh, I've heard great hymns. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, back in the time, you know, like, oh, great, you know, and you, you could put that away, Ken, if you want to. Um, God's name is Jehovah, and I've heard these beautiful prayers where people invoke the name of Jehovah and, and well-intentioned, right? You know, the scribes and even in the Bibles that we get, they, uh, they wanted to call God Jehovah out of a respect. You know, we don't want to confuse people and think that they have power over God, you know, no, so we're going to put this in here. But you can see it was a mistake that was kind of compounded for nearly 2,000 years, if we're going all the way back to the 4th century B.C., and people started to forget the name of God. They started to forget that God's name is Yahweh. Even the name that they called him, you know, well-intentioned as it is, it's not his name. So, like I said, this is going to be the most academic part of it. Listen. Uh, I know in our own lives, you know, what would it be if we said, you know, oh, my name's Justin, uh, and you started calling me, you started calling me George. You know, George is a fine name. George is a nice name. I have nothing against George, but that's not my name. Uh, my name is Justin. And then so even here, it's actually really significant. What is God's name? His name is Yahweh, and that's really important for us to know. And it's important mostly, uh, as we're going to unpack here, in this second point. Well, okay, his name is Yahweh, sure, I'll track with that and I'll go with that. But what does it actually mean? What's the significance? What's the meaning behind God's name? Well, I think we get the answer uh, yet again here in the text. So uh, I'm going to read two verses to you guys. I'm going to read verses 1 and I'm going to read verse 6. Verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Skipping ahead to verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment." So uh, I think in kind of modern times, and in a very good way, I actually say this really positively, uh, whether it be in counseling or whether it be as we talk about uh, Scripture and the Bible, one of the things that I, I hear again and again and again is, hey, don't mistake what you do with your identity. Uh, you fail on your test. That doesn't make you a failure. It just means you failed on a test, right? Um, 
if you are mean, you have a bad day and you kind of lash out and you say something mean, it doesn't mean you are mean. It means you did a mean thing. Now, when we're talking about us, you know, here, I completely agree with that sentiment. You know, I do not want the sum of who I am to be defined by my worst moments. Uh, Or, frankly, the sum of who I am to be defined by even my best moments. How much more freeing and redeeming is it for the sum of who I am is summed up by Jesus. My identity is found by who he says I am, not who I do, not who the world does. So when it comes to us, yes, I'm on track, I'm on board, that's a good thing. But God himself, as we just read in verse 1 and verse 6, he goes out of his way. He says that when we look at him, if we're to understand the meaning of his name, his identity, who he is, we must look at his actions. In fact, apart from his actions, we don't know who he is. And so this question, what is the meaning behind God's name? Well, you know, people have made it, I think, pretty complicated. There's books and books and tomes and tomes written about what are the meaning of the, the, those four Hebrew characters, yod Hey, vav Hey. I think what God is actually getting at, though, what we just read, again, is we can only know the meaning of his name by looking at his actions. And in the Exodus story, here in Exodus chapter 6, he makes it abundantly clear that he is known by his acts of deliverance and his acts of redemption on behalf of his people. So, let's unpack that just uh, one more step. So, again, right before... Exodus chapter 5. We as a church, we didn't preach that because, you know, I feel like, frankly, we cover chapter 5 today by looking at these first few verses in chapter 6. God says, go confront Pharaoh. Here's how I want you to go confront Pharaoh and what I need you to say. Moses kind of does things in his own way, and he's way more confrontational and way more harsh, at least at first glance, than God wanted him to be. Pharaoh gets really mad, and Pharaoh even gets a little mocking. Pharaoh in chapter 5 says, I don't know the name of this God. Who is this God to me? And so Moses gets his people in trouble. Moses gets in trouble. They're in a bad place. And again, Moses goes back to God. Now, can you see almost um, Pharaoh, the one who claims to be God, the one who says, bow down to me and worship me because I'm the God of gods and the king of kings. He mocks this idea that there is a God greater than him. Who is this Yahweh? Do you almost not hear the irony in this first part? Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to redeem my people with great acts of judgment and signs and wonders and everything that's about to happen in the next couple chapters here in the Exodus story. And in verse 6, one of the ways that God identifies himself, it's this word uh, that's really important. It's this word that will be unpacked again and again throughout the Old Testament. It's this word that's unpacked in the New Testament. It's this word that is literally in our mission statement here as a church. Right there in the middle of verse 6, God says, I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you. I will redeem you. So if God's name, if we're to understand what Yahweh actually means by looking at his actions, and God says, hey, you need to look at these two actions, my delivering of you and my redeeming of you, uh, well, let's take just a second and look at this idea of God as a redeemer. 
So the word that's used there, uh, it's the verb form of the, ver- of the verb ga'al in Hebrew. Uh, if we look at the noun form, when God says, I am your redeemer, and makes it, you know, more personal, it's just simply ga'al. But if we look at, again, the way the Old Testament uses this word, it has two primary meanings, two meanings for this word that God says, you want to know my name and, and what I mean and my actions, what they are? Well, you need to understand this. So the first one, it's this idea of a redeemer kinsman. We could look at places in Scripture like, say, Numbers chapter 35. And Numbers 35, and it's a different time, and, you know, some of it may be a little confusing to us, but essentially what we're told in Numbers 35 from, like, 12 through 25 is, hey, you have a family member, and somebody kills your family member. The next in line, uh, they are the avenger. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and say this. Uh, You know, I I hear that idea of Avenger, and I love the movie Avengers. And the second I hear, you know, Avenger there in numbers, and I'm going to say the D word, I'm sorry, because Tony Stark says it uh, right there in the movie. We may not not be able to defend the earth, but you can be damn sure we'll avenge it. Uh, That's kind of the idea there in in numbers 35. If you kill my family member... Yeah, I wasn't able to defend them in the moment, but you better be sure I will avenge them. Uh, You have taken their blood, I will take your blood. That's exactly what, you know, the word avenger in your English Bibles there, it's the same word, redeemer. So again, I will bring redemption back to my family by bringing justice to the wrong that has been done. I will avenge my family. So that's kind of this first part. You have this, you know, person in your family who can satisfy a blood debt uh, if somebody killed a family member. First idea of Redeemer. But then the second idea, uh, it, frankly, it's an, it's an economic idea. So uh, the word redeem or ga'al, it's used in this idea, say a family owns the family farm, and the family farm is going to be lost, and, some, and the bank is going to take it over, they're going to foreclose on their loan. Uh, somebody could offer the price of redemption, they could redeem the family farm or the land by paying the equivalent price that the land is worth. So we could look at places in Leviticus where this is kind of described. We could look at all these different places, but bottom line... It has this idea of paying the equivalent price of worth. All right, so let's tie some of this together. God says, if you want to know the meaning of my name, you must look at my actions. One of the first actions that he says, know me by, define me by, recognize my identity by, is I am your redeemer. I'm the one who recognizes that when you are in trouble, I will avenge you. When somebody is hurting you, when somebody is doing wrong to you, I am the one who shows up. And does he not? Exodus 7 through 11, he's about to show up again with that mighty hand and outstretched arm that he's been promising. But it also goes to show that God is the one who is willing to pay the price that he may get back what was always his. And can we not see? Uh, Scripture tends to repeat itself, and and God's character is unchanging. You see, uh, the pinnacle, the chief, uh, the 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 chief place where we look and we see God's redemption in the Old Testament, it's right here. It's the Exodus story. He says, "Listen, I will pay whatever price it is, even if it means the firstborn of Egypt." 
Uh, I will do whatever it takes to get their attention and bring my people back to me. You have been serving a false god, namely Pharaoh, who claims that he is raw, who says, serve me, work for me. And God says, no, I have a purpose for you. I have a life for you. I have a plan for you. I will pay whatever the cost is to redeem you. Not only will I pay it, but I will avenge you and bring you back. The Exodus story. Again, it's the chief pinnacle of God's redemption in the Old Testament. And can we not see how that story is retold again for you and for me in our own lives by looking at the cross of Jesus? You see, if God's uh, avenging and God's paying to redeem his people, to save his people from their slavery, how much more so has God done that for us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Because on the cross, all wrongs ultimately will be made right. Uh, At the cross, uh, the debt that we owe to God for even the wrongs that we have done uh, are ultimately satisfied. At the cross, we see how much we're worth. And at the cross, we see how much we have a God who is willing to enter into our lives. And yes, as our mission statement says, redeem our stories. He paid the ultimate price. It took him sacrificing himself. It took Jesus Christ dying on the cross that our debt to God for the sins that we have committed may be satisfied and we may be purchased back. We may become sons and daughters of God himself. Although the people here in Exodus, they don't get that full picture of God's redemption, you better believe these words, and you better believe God's actions to them. It is significant. In fact, for them at that time, again, it's just as significant to them, the Exodus is, as the cross is to us. God necessarily says here in the text, know me, define me by my actions. And the actions he chooses us to see, to know him by, to define him by, are his acts of redemption for us. He will avenge you for the wrongs that you have experienced. And as the cross of Jesus shows us, he is willing to pay any price, any price to reclaim us. Those who are lost at the fall. So, how do we respond to that? We know God's name, it's Yahweh. We know the significance of it. Yahweh shows that he loves us, that he redeems us, uh, that, 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 that he has a plan for us to serve him and, and live for him in this life. So, how do we respond to that? And how I kind of want to wrap up this final point and some of these applications is I want to say, I want to break it up like this to the people of God who are in times of trouble. What do we learn? When, again, I kind of brought some of this up in the beginning, but when we're in times of trouble, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our workplace, whether it's uh, relationships, we can go on and on, right? But how much of life do we talk about our troubles? How much of life is trouble? We experience trouble. What should we do? When Moses was in trouble, When the people of God were in trouble, how does the whole Exodus story kick off? It kicks off with they cried out to God. We know his name. When we're in times of trouble and we don't even feel like we have the discipline or the emotional capability or the possibility uh, of being able to formulate a really good prayer to God, God, you know, hey, just cry his name. Cry his name. It's a starting place. Cry his name in prayer. Yahweh, cry his name in prayer. 
Jesus, I need you. My daughter, who's three and a half years old, she's been having a lot of bad dreams lately. And when she wakes up in the middle of the night because she's afraid, when she wakes up in the middle of the night and she needs the rock, she needs the person that she knows she can count on in any situation, the person who's going to be there, that's going to fight for her, that's going to redeem her, she calls out for mommy. (laughs) Sometimes daddy, every once in a while, maybe one out of ten. But nonetheless, she calls out. She calls out when she's in trouble. She calls out for the name of the one she knows is going to be there. And so too for us. God shows us his name. And he says, I'm the one that will be there for you. In your persecution, in your suffering, even when you're complicit, even when you have a part in the wrong uh, that you're experiencing, call my name. I will be there for you. When we are struggling If we don't know what to say to God, let's start with his name. We can call out to him. But I want to bring this up because this is really, really important. And this, I think in some ways, this is the, it's a really significant part anyways of the lesson that the people of God would have learned. So that first step of the application, it's to the people of God when we're in times of trouble. But also this, and may we learn this from the text, to the people of God who are called on mission. And if you call yourself a Christian, if you say Jesus is Lord and you are a follower of him, you are necessarily called on mission. There's no way around it. We're not just redeemed to be able to experience the blessing and the inheritance that God has for us. We're not uh, redeemed so that we may be blessed. But just as we see in the Old Testament now, we are redeemed that we, we are blessed that we may be a blessing to others. So to the people of God who are called on mission... May we share God's name with those who don't know it. You see, this idea is repeated again and again and again. God's name in the Old Testament, the the fullest revelation of his mercy uh, is shown to us again through Yahweh, the one who saves them in the Exodus. But for us on this side of redemptive history, uh, we know that uh, the name of God that has been fully revealed to us, his name, it's Jesus. See, the fullness of God was pleased to take on flesh and dwell amongst us. That's what John tells us in chapter 1, does it not? And then John and the rest of the New Testament will go out of their way to remind us as people who are called on mission, we must be talking about the name of God. And so I do want to wrap up, and I, I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you Here are a couple of these verses in the New Testament that talk about the power of the name of God and how we are called to partner with him in sharing who he is. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 15 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Finally, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was such a small survey. We could look at so much more in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the name, simply the name of Jesus is powerful. In our evangelism, uh, in the way that we, that we share our faith with others, the way that we go about it, I know that it can be hard. I, I'm the first one that wants to cower out in fear when I feel like, oh, I have that opportunity to tell somebody, hey, I'm a pastor, hey, let me tell you about my church. I know, guys, I know that it's hard. When we started this church a year and a few months ago, we talked about the importance of talking with people about Jesus. We don't need to have every theological answer. We don't need to be able to talk about the tetragrammaton and, uh, you know, the substitution of the value. You know, we don't need to do all that, right? What do we need to be able to do? We need to be able to talk about the way Jesus has redeemed our story. That's what the people in Exodus will be commanded to do again and again to your family, at your workplace, and everything that you do. Talk about Yahweh. Talk about the way he has redeemed us. Talk about how good he is. Talk about how he provides for us. Talk about the works that he has done. And then in the New Testament, we are told, talk about Jesus. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. He has blessed us and loved us. And that is to our benefit, and that should make us worshipful and rejoice. But it also should remind us of the mission that God has given us. Again, at Story Presbyterian Church, our mission is to help people discover how Jesus can redeem their story. When we need him, when we're in trouble, may we call on God's name, and may his name be the thing that motivates us to share with our neighbors the good news. God's name is Yahweh. God's name is Jesus. May we share this with others. Let's pray. Jesus, we sang these worship songs that talk about your name and how powerful it is, uh, but God, we remember. We remember in our own personal lives, we remember the ways that you have worked, the ways that you have redeemed our stories. God, would you help us to, to God, would you help us to remember how good you are, uh, that when we call and cry on your name, would you help us uh, to remember that this isn't just a one-time thing, and now we're good, and, and we don't have anything else to do. But God, would we be continually satisfied by your name? God, may we continually go to you when we're in trouble, when we're in need. God, will you continue to work in our hearts and in our lives? And, and Lord, we ask you, would you work through this church? Would we be the type of people that would be salt and light to the city of Westerville? Would you help us to be the type of people that would minister to all of Columbus and, God, even all of your creation? Lord, however you would use us, our hands are open. We want to be used by you. We thank you that you did take on flesh. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us fully on the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, in your name is above all names. It's worthy to be worshipped. Thank you that you have made yourself known to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.